0: Before we begin, I wanna ask you guys a question. Who remembers church in the park? Yeah, it was a great time. Don't you remember like getting there early and then like completely soaking your feet and having wet feet for the rest of the day? Or in the morning start like shivering and being so cold and then at the end just sweating buckets and having sunburn and just feeling awful? I know some of you guys were smarter than me, but I just tended never to bring a jacket in the morning or a tent. So I was always sweaty and sunburnt. but it was a great time. And seriously though, so many people at this church put forth such a, a great effort into helping us do church in the park during that time as well as the Lord just provided for us in the the exact way that we needed to still gather with one another during that hectic time. And I'm so thankful for that. And if you have a really good memory, infallible recall, you will remember that I got to preach to share a message in the park. And that one message that I got to preach was on the 10 commandments. And it was one of the 10 commandments and the one of the 10 was thou shall not murder. And today I wanna to follow up with a sequel of thou shall not steal, which is found in Exodus 2015. And that is what we're going to be talking about today. All right, so when you read this or when I say it, What is the first thing that comes into your mind? For me, uh, I, I mean, for different people, it might be taking that cookie from the cookie jar when you were young, right? Or maybe someone stole your iPod or your phone or some other valuable when you're young and you remember that because someone took something that was, of great value to you, or perhaps you think of Bernie Madoff and the 2008 Ponzi scheme that was about 20 to $65 billion that led to the global financial crisis in 2008. When I think of stealing, I have a very clear picture in my head of being in Milwaukee with my family we drove my brother's car out there and we were going around the city. And when we got back to the car, his rear, his rear passenger window was smashed in. And all the equipment, the CD deck, the base, I mean, he spent thousands of dollars on, you know, tricking out his car. Like that he scrapped and saved for working minimum wage at a grocery store, and everything was gone. And what I remember most is the horror and shock on his face. And I'm saying this to prove a point, a point that you know we have all have encountered stealing at some point in our lives and stealing is just as prevalent or common today as it was back then before the 10 commandments ever since the 10 commandments it's been you know almost 3000 4000 years since then and people still steal and the effects of which are obvious to us all whether it's big or whether it's small it erodes trust And it destroys relationships, whether it's as big as Bernie Madoff or whether it's as small as a cookie from the cookie jar. And there are pictures in our mind that come to us because we live in our time, in our place. You know, things like cybercrime, such as identity theft and fraud and all all the different stuff that happens to us now, but not necessarily what Israel would have dealt with because they existed in a much different time and place, but they were still people and they still dealt with stealing. And I think this is just a hunch that when they saw or when they read, thou shall not steal, they thought of a very specific story. Now, how many of you guys are familiar? You don't have to raise your hands with the story Of how they got their name. Their name comes from one of their fathers. The patriarch Jacob. Now Jacob was renamed Israel. And if you remember the story of Jacob. It's Abraham Abraham gets called by God to leave his land. And go to the promised land. And then he has the child of the promised Isaac. And then Isaac gives birth To Jacob and Esau. And the name Jacob, the name that he gets, means heel grabber. Someone who is, you know, latched at the heel, which is kind of a strange name for a kid, right? And it's because he's a twin. And when he was born, he came out second, grabbing the heel of his older brother, Esau. And heel grabber is the literal interpretation of the name Jacob, but it also means deceiver, cheat, or one who supplants. And supplanting simply means taking the place of someone else. When there is a president or a king and people want to replace that king or president with another leader, which is called a coup, the people planning the coup, orchestrating the coup, are people who are supplanters, which is a pretty accurate name for Jacob, right? He takes the place of his brother Esau. First, he steals his birthright, or he makes a trade, which is practically a steal. Esau, as the older brother, and with the customs of the time, deserves the greater share of the inheritance of his father, Isaac. But one day, Esau goes hunting, and he's out there for a long time, And apparently he's not a very good hunter because he doesn't get anything. Or maybe some of you hunters in the room can sympathize with Esau, right? He doesn't get anything and he comes back and he's so hungry and he sees his brother Jacob making some soup and he goes, Jacob, please give me some soup. I am famished. And Jacob kind of seeing this situation and going, man, I got some real power here. Uh, how about I'll give you a bowl of soup if you give me your birthright. And Esau remarkably agrees to this trade. He's like, what good is my inheritance if I am dead? And he trades this bowl of soup for his inheritance. And I mean, Isaac's got sheep, he's got goats, he's got servants, which all translates to wealth back then. And I don't know the exchange rate of goats to dollars or sheep to Bitcoin or the rate of inflation since 1500 B.C. But I'm pretty sure this is the most expensive bowl of soup that has ever happened. All right. And who knows if it was any if the soup was any good. Uh, And that not only happens, but later Jacob steals Esau's blessing. All right, if you remember the story, Jacob ends up dressing up like his brother. Puts on these, these furs because Esau is really hairy. He talks like him. He tries to smell like him so that when he goes into Isaac's tent, he tries to convince his dad that he is Esau so that he gets blessed. And Esau is not only cheated out of his physical birthright, but he's, he, he, the, the promise of God towards Abraham and Isaac gets taken from him and given to his younger brother, Jacob. And they were stolen by his younger brother. And Esau starts plotting his revenge. Jacob finds out about this plot, and he ends up running away, right? Because his brother is going to kill him. I wonder why. And he goes back to the land of his grandfather and his mother, and he meets his uncle Laban. And what goes around comes around, and when he meets Laban, Laban, he starts working for him, and he starts getting cheated, and he starts getting deceived. And Jacob gets seven to twenty years of his life taken away from him, no matter depending on how you look at it. And Laban tries to cheat Jacob out of his flock, and Jake and Jacob leaves secretly because partially because his uncle is a jerk his father-in-law is a jerk and but mainly because God has called him back to the promised land where Esau lives and when they leave his his wife Rachel ends up stealing the household idol of Laban and Laban finds out that his idol's missing and he goes running after them and he's like why did you why did you steal from me Why did you do this evil? And there's this big kerfuffle that happens and they end up getting away with it. And when you're reading this story, you realize pretty quickly that these people are messed up, right? They keep stealing, they keep deceiving, they keep cheating one another. And it's easy to see that this dismantles any sort of trust that they have with one another. It dismantles, it destroys their relationships amongst even their own family, and I'm sure some of you here know firsthand what that is like. And even if you haven't experienced what that is like, it's not, easy, it's not hard to figure out what that would be like. It's very hard to rebuild the trust that is lost when someone steals. And to have a close relationship with someone that you don't trust is pretty much impossible. And Jacob really has nowhere to go because of the cheating and stealing that he has done and what has happened to him. Yet he eventually decides to return to the promised land to obey God. Yet he is still fearing for his life and thinks that he's still gonna die. And what's awesome is that before Jesus, uh, before Jesus, before Jacob goes back, he says this prayer, and this prayer is an amazing prayer, uh, a prayer that we find in Genesis thirty-two nine through twelve, which says this. Then Jacob prayed, "O oh God." of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord, you who said to me, go back to your country and your relatives, and I will make you prosper. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan, but now I've become two camps. Save me. I pray from the hand of my brother Esau, for I'm afraid he will come and attack me and also the mothers with their children. But you have said, I will surely make you prosper and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. And the night after this, he wrestles with the angel and he receives the new name, Israel. Israel meaning one who contends with God or one who is triumphant with God. And Jacob realizes something before he goes back to Esau, before Esau spares his life. And he realizes that it hasn't been his trickery. It hasn't been his conniving that has made him prosperous. In fact, if anything, it has brought him much more pain and hardship, being on the run and working practically as a slave, and that was his reward for that, but it has been the constant blessings of God in his life that has given him so much, and he realizes that he hasn't deserved it, but God has still been kind and faithful to him, and even after Esau forgives him, he still What he does is he he gives Esau a ton of gifts. A, because he is afraid, but also, I think it's because he realizes everything that he has is a gift. Everything that he has now is a gift from God, they're not his. And because God is gracious to him, he is gracious towards others. And he responds in worship and in prayer. And this is a remarkable turnaround from someone who has been selfish and conniving their whole life to someone who is instead gracious in his relationships and generous, generous with what he has. And it comes from the place of humility. Understanding that all that he has isn't something he's earned, but has been given. Instead of scheming, he trusts in God and God blesses him. And his new name is the name that they carry and his descendants carry even to this day. They are not Jacobites, but they are Israelites. And this reminds them, thou shall not steal. How? For everything that they have is ultimately from the hand of God. God. And it's not Israel, Israel's schemes that make them prosper, but it's the hand of God with them. And this story in the Bible throughout its pages is a testament to that truth. And it reminds us of this truth because this is not just true for Israel, but it's for all of God's people. And it's very easy to understand the horizontal effects of stealing, Meaning the effects that it has on one another and the relationship, uh, the destroyed relationships that happen when we steal. Most societies have the idea of property rights or punishments for stealing because without that, there really couldn't be a currency or there really couldn't be anything of value because... What what belongs to someone else you could steal and it wouldn't really work, but harm inflicted, um, but harm inflicted by stealing or the consequences are not sufficient for the law. Thou shall not steal. All right. So it's not just our horizontal relationships that make this law. Even though it does harm other people, I want to demonstrate that because if our goal was only to minimize harm towards other people, then we could justify a lot of stealing. We could justify a lot of stealing if the only purpose of not stealing was to not harm others, right? We would say things like, eh, they don't need this. I don't think they would miss this. They have so much more than me and I'm just helping people who need it more. Whether that be shoplifting from a large organization like Walmart or Amazon or pirating movies or CDs or taking from the rich, if you took from one guy who had more and gave it to two who had less, whether you included yourself or not, You could make the argument that you are maximizing the minimization of suffering, even if the one guy didn't have very much. And if there's one thing people are good at, it is rationalizing our behavior to get what we want. So we need to ask the question, why is stealing wrong? Because we all know it's wrong. We have a gut reaction to it. But why? Well... Jesus sums up the law and the prophets with two commandments. He says, he recites what is known as the Shema, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might and all your strength and to love your neighbor as you love yourself. These are the two great commandments and this contains the law. And The thing is, stealing doesn't only violate one of these commandments, it violates both of these commandments. The word sin, as you might know, is an archery term, and it means to miss the mark when you're shooting something, whether that be an arrow or a gun or a throwing axe, you're usually aiming at a target. And when you miss... That is what is called sin. Sin is a falling short of what you are aiming at. And this means that there is a target or a standard that we are all aiming at. And that target and standard, because we are made in the image of God, is the character of God. Well, it's quite uh, and, and, and so you have to ask the question, if that's the case, what is the character of God? If that is the target in which I'm aiming at, what is his character? Well, it's quite evidently displayed in scriptures, but the 10 commandments actually do a really good job at explaining who God is, right? Why is adultery wrong? Well... God is faithful to his promises. Adultery is a breaking of a covenant. And and God is faithful and true to his promises and he keeps his covenants and you're missing the mark when you break yours, right? He is a God of truth and justice and bearing false witness is a perversion. It is a missing of the mark of truth and justice, as well as thou shall not kill. Who is he that gives life? It's God. And who are we to take that away? And if man is made in the image of God, there is a reason that we are. And it's to reflect his image properly. And sin is missing the mark of his image and distorting who he is. It is a missing of the mark. Uh, Romans 1, 18 through 20 says this. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature has been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that people are without Excuse. You see, what this is saying is that the character of God, his divine nature, is understood as people through his creation. Yet, we as people reject that and suppress the truth in wickedness. People know what the mark is innately. They know that stealing, stealing is wrong innately. But we often don't want to hit it. So the question needs to be asked, what is stealing missing the mark of? Well, let's listen to Paul in Lystra or Lystra, who gives a sermon to the people of Lystra. And unlike most of the people Paul and the other apostles preach to in the New Testament, he is preaching to a specific Gentile audience who have no understanding of the Old Testament. And so Paul is going to use these invisible qualities of God to prove to them who God is. And he says this in Acts 14, 15 through 17. He says, friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all the nations go their own way, yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven, crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and he fills our hearts or your hearts with joy. God gives. It is the most essential and self-evident attribute of God that I can think of? How are we alive? Did any of us by our actions earn being born? The answer is no. God gives it. It's who he is is. God has gifted us with everything that we have. He has blessed us with life, with rain, with food, and he has filled our hearts with joy. And you know what Paul is saying here? You want to know who God is? Eat a steak, right? Eat some bacon. Well, I mean, maybe you wouldn't say that, you know, but eat some food, That food bears testimony to the character of God that he is gracious and good and everything that we have comes from him. Whether it's the air we breathe, the water we drink, the food we eat, the life we've been given, the people around us, and the ability that we have to enjoy them. God not only gifted us with food, but he gifted us with taste buds. He gifted us with rods and cones so that we can perceive color and not just that, but he has given us hearts and minds that are stirred and moved by beauty in sunsets and with the mountains and with the changing of fall colors. And he is the one who fills our hearts with joy and has allowed us to enjoy these gifts. James 1, 17 says this, every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. And the attribute of God that we are talking about is of course, God's grace, which is fundamental to understanding who God is, our relationship with him, as well as Thou shall not steal. Why? Because everything that we have, whether that is a talent, whether that is a resource, is fundamentally not ours. But they are gifts given by God for the time being. For what does anyone really own, or it really belongs to them. Everything that we have um, will expire. You know, if we're lucky, we'll live 80, 90, 100 years. And we have those years to accumulate stuff. And when we are gone, all that stuff is either gone or with someone else. We aren't owners of anything but stewards of God's grace. While we are here in a steward, isn't someone who owns something, he is a manager of something and a manager to use what they've been entrusted with well and for its purpose. And what is the opposite of being gracious? Of having grace towards someone, the opposite, of course, is taking, it's stealing, it's cheating. Not only are you taking something from others which is harmful to them and doesn't belong to you, but what you are also doing is taking and not just taking from them, but rebelling towards the God who has given it to them and who has also given you everything. Everything. You take the place of God when you take something that doesn't belong to you. And what you're saying when you do implicitly is that God, you had this wrong. You were unfair. Now I'm going to make it fair. I'm going to make things right. And you proclaim that he has made a mistake and that he has somehow cheated you of something that belongs to you. And we assume the place of God wanting to be the owner of something and wanting to be the the gift giver or the distributor, yet we are only stewards. And when we talk about stealing, we are not just talking about someone's property or what they have. The commandment thou shall not steal is probably the most open-ended of all the commandments. What do I mean by that? I mean, every single commandment can be summed up with thou shall not steal. We are all capable of stealing someone's life, someone's spouse, someone's dignity, someone's property, someone's honor. You can make a solid argument that every single one of the 10 commandments can fall under, thou shall not steal. Read uh, Exodus twenty thirteen with me. It says this, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. What is murder but the taking of an innocent life or committing adultery but stealing from your spouse or the spouse of someone else or bearing false testimony but robbing someone of their dignity or their character and usually you do it to build, to get something out of that. Coveting, on the other hand, is the heart which produces stealing. And honoring your mother and father, the one that we didn't talk about, is not giving something that belongs to them. You're taking something from them. And you can say the same thing with the other commandments that talk about giving to God what is God's. Stealing ultimately is an action that is birthed out of mistrust in God and selfishness. That is what produces stealing and it is what Adam and Eve did. They took from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because of mistrust in God and selfishness. Satan said, the day you eat from the tree, you will be like God. And they thought, God's holding out on us. He's not giving us what we really deserve. And they took Think about that for a second. Why is that? Stealing puts you in the place of God, allowing allowing you to determine what belongs to who. And we're all biased, spoiler alert, we're all biased towards ourselves. So naturally, if we're putting ourselves in that position, we are going to benefit ourselves. And guess what? We are not gracious gods. We are not gracious gods any cursory knowledge of world history or, I don't know, knowing myself, I am not. Think of, and, we, and think about it. We have all, at some point in our lives, has taken, have taken something that doesn't belong to us. Whether that be uh, cheating on homework, stealing a cookie from the cookie jar, gossiping or slandering someone, or not honoring our mother and father. And that means we are guilty of breaking the commandment, thou shall not steal. And we're guilty because even though we didn't know the laws of God, the laws of God are written on our heart. And the Bible tells us that the same consequences that were there for Adam and Eve are the same consequences for us. Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death. but thank be to God that righteousness, meaning a right relationship, a right standing with God is made possible apart from following the law. Listen to what Paul writes in Romans three twenty-one through 24. He says this, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ by, uh, for all those who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace through, re- through the redemption, which is in Christ Jesus. We've all sinned. We've all mistrusted God at some point in our lives and we've all been selfish and taken something that doesn't belong to us and that condemns us before God. But guess what? God saved us. The very attribute of God that we have all transgressed is the very thing that he saves us with justified by a gift, justified by his grace. God gives, it's who he is. God being rich in mercy redeemed us. He paid our debt. He paid the price for our sin by dying the death that we deserved to give us grace that we haven't earned. While we are yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. We cannot earn righteousness with God, but Jesus selflessly gave himself on the cross so that we might be justified by his grace. Ephesians 2, eight and nine says this, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. We worship and serve a gracious God without which we would have no hope. But because of his grace, we have hope everlasting. It is amazing the rich depths of grace that Jesus has shown even his enemies. And guess what? Guess what? As his followers, we are called to do the same. He has also called us to be gracious, to live grace-filled lives in the same way, to give to people life even though they might not deserve it. D- Jesus doesn't just say, thou shall not steal, but Jesus says, thou shall give. Matthew four forty-three through 48 says this, You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven for he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rains on the righteous and unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Don't even the Gentiles do the same. He is gracious. And because of this, who he is is that he gave his one and only son to die on our behalf so that we might receive this gift, the gift of eternal life. He gives and giving has the exact opposite effect of taking. Taking burns bridges, giving builds bridges. And just how stealing is birthed out of mistrust in selfishness, mistrust in God and selfishness, giving is an act that is birthed out of trust in God and selflessness. And my prayer and my hope and desire is that all of us here as a church, as people who live in Utah County, would be grace filled towards one another and towards the outside, the outside, the, the world. And that we would be radical disciples filled with graces, grace so that we could demonstrate and show who Jesus is to each other and to everyone else. This message has been brought to you by Alpine Bible Church in Lehigh, Utah.